You all read that screen okay up there? You know what CCD is? Anybody here ever heard of CCD? Welcome. Welcome to CCD. We're doing a little bit of a, a change here. Decided we'll start a class of CCD and I'll explain why. But before I do, let's pray one more time. Father, as we go into your word today, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work powerfully in us, that you would soften the soil of our hearts to receive what is from you, that you would open our ears that we might hear from you, and that you would do a mighty work in this process of sanctification, growing us more mature in our faith, giving us a greater love for you, taking us, uh, creating us as a people who love you more and more, who serve you more and more faithfully. And Holy Spirit, I pray today you would do that as we go into your word, for your glory, and in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen. The school I grew up in, an elementary school, was primarily Catholic and Jewish. And there were two days a week us Jewish kids got jealous. You see, we got out at 3.15. But at 2.45, two days a week, our Catholic friends got to leave early. And we would watch them go out the classroom. They'd go down the hallways, show up out the front door, and we had a big loop in the front of the building. And they would get on these little school buses or white vans, and they would smile at us Jewish kids. It's just mean smile, at least from my perspective. They were on their way to CCD. I had no idea what CCD meant other than they got to leave school early. And Hebrew school, for some unknown reason, was after 6 p.m., darn those rabbis. So we never got to leave early. They went to CCD. I never knew what CCD was. But we're going to be talking about CCD because I found out just recently I, in fact, was a student of CCD and a sufferer of CCD. Now you really have no idea what I'm talking about. CCD is crazy Christian disorder. I'm not talking about the one my Catholic friends went to. We won't even touch that. This one, for our purposes, is called crazy Christian disorder. And to follow the CCD theme, the main symptoms are complaining, comparing, and doubting. Now, a little disclaimer off the top, this is a very selfish sermon series. I was reading in Numbers, and I came across Numbers 11 through 14, and it was like God slapped me in the face with his word and said, Hey, John, let me tell you a little bit about yourself. You are good at complaining, at comparing, and doubting. And I spent a good deal of time in those chapters, and it's a bit therapeutic for me to go through a sermon series for myself. So I thought I'd do that. The reality is I trust that you guys suffer a little bit from CCD too because God wrote in his word a good deal about CCD, what to do about it and why it's important. So if this at all doesn't apply to you, just tune it out. I'll be done at some point and you can leave. But if it does, let's pray that God would, would open our eyes a little more fully, help us understand a little bit more seriously and work a little bit more vigorously to glorify him. Let's, let's practice. Who's a good complainer here besides me? Just Flo. Just Flo. You guys. So it's, this is going to be for Flo this series. Everybody pray for me and Flo. Because you guys... Now, we all know in the privacy of our own homes, we're pretty good at complaining. You know, you, you leave here and you go home and, and you can talk to your spouse or you can call up a good friend. You can complain about something. Maybe you're, you're good at... You don't, you don't vocalize it, but in your head. You can complain like nobody's business, right? You can start with the basics. Let's, let's do the weather. It's too hot, too cold, too humid, too dry, too sunny, too wet. You only get two good weeks, so you can complain about the weather ad nauseum, right? 
How about work? I love what I do. See, that's, that may be the one thing I can't complain about. But how many people can complain about work? Too much? Too little? Too early? Too late? Coworkers? Family members? I was up in New York for several days. Family members are easy to complain about. Finances, how we feel, the house we live in, on and on and on. Think of the last time you went one day without complaining about anything. You might be here thinking for a while, no? We're all good at complaining. Now let me ask you this question. How's God feel about complaining? Is that just one of those things he's like, Oh, come on, enough of the complaining. You know what God thinks about? You know what God does to complainers? Kills them. Complaining deserves death in God's eyes. You ever stop and think about that? You say something as simple as, This weather stinks. You have merited death before God. Mom, Dad, I hate you. You don't know what you're talking about. Whoops. Does that sound a little extreme to you? Complaining deserves death? Let's go into Numbers, chapter 11. You know that book that you all skip every time you try to read through the Bible because you can't make it there? Well, in the elite class of Bible readers known as pastors, we are forced to trudge through these deep, disgusting, murky waters. It's actually good stuff in Numbers. It's a lot of good stuff in Numbers, but there are good stories in Numbers. We're going to look at a, a story of a people who complain. And this is a, a people who um, you're familiar with, if you know the Exodus story. And rather than read all of chapter 11 to you, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 and 31 through 35, and then I'm going to go back and unpack them a little bit more slowly for you. Numbers 11, it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength has dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was that, like that of bedillium. The people went about and gathered it, and ground it in handmills, or beat it in mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Now I'm jumping ahead to 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp, while the meat was yet between their teeth. Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of that place was called Kibroth Hata'avah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hata'avah, the people journeyed to Hazarot, and they remained at Hazarot. Before we dig this one too deeply, 1 Corinthians. You ever hear of that book? 
In 1 Corinthians 10, you know that Paul talks about what I just read to you? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5, says, Nevertheless, with most of them, them being these people we just read about, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. It says in verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. All that to say that this is not just a true historical event in the wilderness. This is a true historical event that was recorded as an example for you and me today. And the primary example that we get of this is one of a complainer. And what we're to learn is the seriousness that God views complaining with and what we must do about it. I'm going to start by talking about the problem. Numbers 11, verse 1 through 3. It says, And the people complained. I guess we might stop there for a minute and say, who is them people? Who are the people? The people are the Exodus people. These are the people who lived in Egypt as slaves, who lived a horrendous life of oppression, who God brought out through Moses through the ten plagues. You remember those? You remember the last one, the Passover? The angel of death? These people lived through that. They left Egypt following a pillar of cloud and fire, and they went to the Red Sea, and they walked through the Red Sea. They ate miracle food coming down from the sky called manna. It's them people. People who saw God clearly. They saw God's hand work miraculously and deliberately in their presence. They were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation is why they were called out, right? Those people. And all of a sudden, after about a year and a few days, and I say that, I'll explain in a minute, these folks are complaining. Wah, wah, wah. Doesn't that sound a little crazy? Now, if you were brought out of slavery, being taken to a promised land of your own, to conquer the land, if, if you had walked through the parted sea, if you had eaten manna come from the sky, if you had seen God work in such freaky ways, surely you wouldn't complain, would you? But these people complained. They went to Sinai. And at Sinai they had that whole calf thing, you know? And Aaron just accidentally popped it out of the fire. They were at Sinai for about a year. We know that as we read Exodus 19 and Numbers 10. And about three, four days after they left Sinai, God said, go. We're going to the promised land. This is what we run into. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. Now... I think we'd all agree complaining about ridiculous stuff is silly. Man, my house is so big it takes me forever to clean it. Oh, I have so much money it's such a pain to keep track of it. Oh, this heavy gold necklace is weighing me down. That would be stupid complaining, right? But notice it says the people complained about their what? Misfortunes, hardships, adversity. Same word. And God, it says, they complained the hearing of God, and when the Lord heard it, he felt badly for them for their hard stuff and changed it to make life oh so much easier for them. Wait, no? See, I hate this section of text because I like to complain about misfortune. And I feel like I have a right to complain about misfortune, and I don't want to think about the fact that saying so tells God he's a fool. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James 1. 
God, that's fine, but not for me. Do it a different way. They complained about their misfortune, and the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them, consumed some outlying parts of the camp. That doesn't mean God burned sand. God killed people because they complained about their misfortune. You thought the Uriah thing with the ark was bad. How about this? They just complained. What's going on here? What's the problem? Well, I think the problem gets to the root of where the complaining comes from. It gets to asking yourself, how could a people who God had done so much for, who knew how much God loved them, who had seen how God cared for them, view their difficulties and adversities and misfortunes with such screwed up eyes that they would complain? I'm finding so much of life is a pretty veneer but if you rip back the covers, ooh, it's a mess. And I'm speaking about myself here. Sometimes I can get so disoriented by the world that I can convince myself I'm pretty stinking okay. I got my act together. I'm a good guy. It's, then it's like, whoa, slow down a minute. And the veneer goes away, and I'm like, oh, there's a mess. Because when I complain, what I'm doing is I'm telling God, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool. I had a conversation this weekend with a person who is not a Christian, and they struggle with not the existence of God, but if God loves them. Now, if you knew this person, you, you would realize a miracle took place to get to this point in the conversation. This is not someone who tears up, ever. This is not a person who you would think has any desperate need or any concerns in the world, and I, I didn't think so. This person is telling me that, you know, we were talking, and I, I asked him if they believe there is a God. I said, the question, I don't, I don't think that's a problem. I, I know there's a God. The question is, is there a God? And uh, isn't, is there a God? It's, does God care about me? We dug a little deeper and see what happened was, uh, there was a situation where this person's mother died. <clears throat> a horrible death. Years and years and years of pain and organ failure. But she just wouldn't die. She wanted to die, but she wouldn't die. She was bedridden. She wouldn't die. She wasn't taking anything. She wouldn't die. She was swollen up every day in hideous pain, and she wouldn't die. And he says, if God truly is a loving God, how the heck can that happen? It's a good question, isn't it? Because from where I sit, I would think, well, God, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. I know intellectually who you are and what you say, but that ain't right. And when I say that, I'm saying, God, look, you don't know what you're doing. If you were really loving God, you wouldn't do this. And I'm insulting God to his face. I'm spitting in his face. I'm saying, you're an idiot. Do it different. Fix it. And then stop and slow down and think about this. The sovereign redeemer, sustainer, creator of the universe. It's a holy God. It's a big God. And there's no such thing as a little sin before a big God. And you tell God you're a fool? What does Jesus say about it? If you call your brother fool, Raka, you're a murderer. You're telling God something similar to what Jesus says you ain't supposed to do. So you complain about that, but that's a hardship. That's a misfortune. There's something seems not right, isn't there? Yeah? So we see the problem is complaining and how God views complaining. I'm not moving past this too fast, don't worry. But I want to get to the why behind it. I want to get to the causes. I want to show you why it's a problem for this, this man. 
why we struggle with it and why the Israelites were so screwed up. Verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. You know who the rabble is? You know when the Israelites left Egypt, they weren't all Israelites. There was a rabble on the side. There were some non non Israelites mixed. Look at that. There were some non Israelites mixed in with them. That's the rabble. The rabble, the non Israelites, had a strong craving, and the people of Israel wept again. So we had the the fire come down on the edges of the camp. You think you learned your lesson at that point? No. They're complaining again. Oh, we have meat to eat. This manna stinks every day. All day long, manna from heaven, manna from heaven, manna from heaven. Oh, the cucumbers and, and the leeks, the onions and the melons. Oh, that we have meat to eat. God, you don't know how to serve us up in style in the wilderness. And God sent them something. But how do you go from complaining, fire coming down, and shortly thereafter you're complaining again? Do you see what happened here? There are two things, easy to miss. Forgetfulness and following. Two causes of complaining, we struggle with them too. Forgetfulness. Now, the Israelites did not have memory issues, and you don't either. Did anybody have to pull out the GPS to get here today? You know my name? Right? You don't have to say it, I'll trust you. You remember your phone number? You got a functional memory, okay? God gave us brains. They don't all work the same well, the same... Apparently some of us struggle with the brain thinking. They don't all work at the same level. Some have a greater capacity to do other things than others, but we all have functional brains that are designed to glorify God, and they come with memories. Yes, I understand, because of sin and how it's corrupted us, some people lose their memory over time. But we have memory. And it's designed to be used for God's glory. And the Israelites had great memory. How do I know? Well, they sure remember what they ate in Egypt, no? They're telling you with some detail. Remember on the third and sun when we had those leeks, man? Mm, with a little onion sauce on the side and the meat and all oh, the fat and calf. And whoo, that was good. They were good at remembering, just remembering the wrong stuff. Now, what they forgot was where they were eating their food. They were not like, oh, when we were, we were on Ariel's back patio, man, overlooking the, the Nile. Oh, scrumptious. No, they were slaves. They were probably slamming down food real quick to get back to work. But they remembered what they ate. What they forget was who they were. They were a people redeemed from slavery by God, for God, to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. They, they forgot that part. They just remembered the food they ate. They forgot who God was. God told them, hey, remember who I am. That whole Deuteronomy 6 stuff, talk about me when you rise up, when you lie down. Talk me up with your kids. Teach them about what I've done. Talk about the things I've done. Teach them my commandments. Because you all trust me. You're going to have some memory issues if you don't do this. It's like, yeah, yeah, God, we'll get to it. We're kind of busy making bricks right now. Before you know it, they got the screwed up memory. They forgot who God was, what he had done, and what he called them to. And forgetfulness leads to following. The rabble whined, and the Israelites whined with them. Now, they were called to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They were called to be a light in a dark world, to be influencers rather than influencees of people like the rabble. Who did the influencing? The, the rabble! Now, guys, I know that we don't have this trouble, right? 
I know that we're never too busy to remember God, but good at remembering the other stuff. I know that we're never influenced by the rabble, a.k.a. the world, but we're influencing the world, right? Because we always know who God is and what he's done and what he's called us to. So we never complain except for me and Flo. Or are there times when we forget what we're supposed to remember and perhaps remember what we're supposed to forget? Are there times when we end up being the followers and as we follow, Lord, we're good at complaining. Next time you're out with some friends, ideally get a large group, don't speak, just listen. Watch how fast complaining comes about. In the neighborhood, it's real, oh man, did you see what so-and-so did? Can you believe they bought that car? I don't know how they're going to pay for that car. What do they think they are? Oh, they must think they're better than all of us buying a car like that. Do you see so-and-so's kids? Man, I can't stand those kids. Goody two-shoe kids. They don't seem to do anything. They must, just, they must be mean to those kids. Boom! Right to the... Now, keep a tally in your mind of the complaining versus the praising. Ideally, praising God. Secondarily, saying something kind about someone else. Man, I just love our neighbors across the street. What, what wonderful people. I've never heard that in my neighborhood. But Lord love a duck, these folks can complain. And can you keep a secret? If I ain't careful, I'm right in there with them. I know, man, did you? Woo. What a hypocrite I must look like when they go back to their house. He's a pastor. Did you hear him just complaining like the rest of us? And you know what? This is not about pastors, folks. This is about all people who God calls on to himself. What happens is I start to forget. I get busy with life. It gets to be Sunday afternoon and Monday and Tuesday, and I'm running around, and I'm forgetting what God calls me to. God, I know you say that I have to meditate on your word and store up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, but God, man, I go to bed late and I get up early, and sometimes I just can't. I know, God, that, that you tell me in Deuteronomy that, that I have to raise up my children by, by talking about you when we rise up, when we lie down, that, that if I train up a child in the way he should go, never going to depart. Proverbs. But God, I'm kind of busy, and I'll get to that in the future, because right now I'm busy. I'm doing stuff. You think God's like, okay, uh-huh. you let me know when you got time. No. You see, I, I start to forget, and then I start to follow the ways of the world. And that's the cause of complaining. It's the cause of a whole bunch of things. And what's the result? But before we get to the result, can we have a a side note? Just say yes, it makes me feel good. In this section, what are they complaining about? The manna. It was boring. Honest to God. Try to eat the same thing every day, twice a day. Endlessly. Think about that. Doesn't that get boring and monotonous? Why didn't God throw, you know, strawberry manna on Monday, kiwi manna on Tuesday, meat and manna on Wednesday? You know, why, why not some variety in there? Could I make this point on the side, chew on this? Guys, the rabble has convinced us that everything has to be a uniquely wonderful experience. You ever notice, back in the day, when my grandpa went to base, and when I was a kid, You go to a baseball game, you went to a baseball game. They played baseball, you went home. Now you're going to an experience. They shoot things at you between innings because you can't keep concentration for like four minutes. They they sing songs, they have hot dog races, they fire shirts at you. It's like there's music all the time. It's like, woo! It has to be a a life-altering experience. Why? Laura's downstairs so I can say this. In all seriousness. We've been married for 16 years. 
Do you know sometimes marriage can be boring? I love my wife dearly. There's a routine to marriage. There are times when there's a monotonous routine you go through. And you know what? It's okay. God uses that to grow you closer to Him and closer to one another. But we think marriage is supposed to be Hollywood. You need background music. Your, your spouse is supposed to wake up looking pretty. There's, everybody's supposed to smell good. Your breath is supposed to not have that morning breath. Please, right? But, but then you get married and it's like, something, something happens at night to people. They, they wake up a different person. And, and you actually will have arguments and there's not background music and, and you don't have dinner in a hot air balloon every night. There's a monotony and a, a tedium and it can be boring and it's okay. The Olympics. We'll get to the tree in a minute. You think these Olympic athletes have an experience every day? I'm not talking about a Michael Phelps who has, who has endorsements and stuff. I'm talking about Joe Schmo who works a job at Home Depot and he competes in the Olympics. You talk to Joe. There's a lot of boring prep work that goes into being a champion Olympian. You know that? It's like, ah! It's like, oh. But you do it. And you do it. And you do it. Because you need to do it. And you know that as you do it, you're growing in the monotonous, repetitive boredom. Trees growing are not exciting things to watch, but man, they get pretty big and strong. Sanctification, guys, it can be boring. But sometimes... Sometimes God desires us to persevere in the monotony because of where we're going, but we allow the rabble to distract us by saying, we want some excitement to our life. Just remember what they complained about here. I'm not saying life is supposed to be boring and dull. I'm just saying there are some times where routine is essential, where things may seem monotonous for a while. We don't always need change. We don't always need a life-shattering experience. Sometimes the monotony is God's will. But the world tries to convince you, oh no, it's not. Oh, buy something new, you'll feel better. Get something bigger, earn something more. It's the people of God. Let's, let's learn a lesson here. Sometimes God serves man day after day after day. Don't you dare complain. You know why? Let me show you the result of complaining. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up. And it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. Cubit, elbow to hand. Two cubits. You read that quickly, you got a dead quail, three feet deep? All, no. Perhaps, I think the, the easier way to read the text is, these quail came in, God had them fly low, about three feet off the ground so that people could scoop them in nets or grab them. Point being, everybody got a lot, a lot of quail. And they brought the quail back. And can't you just see it like, like you're there right now? These like animalistically crazed people. You look at that, they got the crazy eyes, the rabble eyes. We got meat, we got meat. And they're bringing back these bloody quail and they're, they're de-feathering them, getting ready. And they're like salivating. Like you ever hold, hold bologna in front of a dog? They just, it starts to pour out. It's disgusting. These people were like, drooling. We're going to eat the meat. We got the meat. Lots of meat. Yeah. And they get it ready and they start eating it. And there's this intermission text in the middle that I skipped. I encourage you to read it. God explains to Moses what's going to happen. I'm going to give these people meat, he says, and it's going to come oozing out of them. It's going to gag them. They're going to be sick from it. I'm going to give them meat. Not just for a day. Not just for two or ten. For a whole month, all they're going to eat is meat. And there's the meat. 
And when they first get the meat, they're like, yeah, baby! And then they start eating the meat. And then you know what happens? It says, those who gather least gather ten homers, and they spread out for themselves all around the camp while I was yet between their teeth. Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled, and he struck down the people with a very great plague. How's that meat tasting now? There are times throughout Scripture that God gives to people what they want sinfully. Shortly hereafter, the people uh, all begin to do what is right in their own eyes. God allows them, and check out the book of Judges. Doesn't go so well. A little bit thereafter. God, we want a king like all the other nations. Oh, guys, no, you don't. Yes, we do. We don't care. You don't know what you're talking about. Give us a king. <laughs> there you go. Didn't work out so well. You know what the absolute worst thing about complaining is? When God gives you what you want. Stop and think about that. This guy's mom was horrendously sick and dying. God, fix her! That'd be the worst thing that could happen. That's a severe situation. God, my job stinks, man. I'm going to murder a co-worker if you don't get me out of here. And the problem ain't the co-worker. The problem is the complaining. And the last thing you want is for God to fix it. God, I want more money. Ooh, careful. You might just get it. God, I want less money. Ooh, you don't hear that often, but careful. Guys, you got to be real careful because sometimes God will give you what you're complaining for. This is how I keep job security. God, we'd like a really good pastor. No, don't, don't you complain. What I'm saying is sometimes, sometimes God gives people what they're complaining about. We want meat. There you go. How'd that work out for y'all? How'd that work out when everybody did what was right in their own eyes? How'd that work out when you got your king? How'd that work out when you got your meat? Now stop and think about what you're complaining about. You really want it? The worst thing is when God gives us what we want or allows us to have it. Hema, well, you guys chew on that for a bit. So what do we do with this? I want you guys to just get depressed, get your act together, and move on. Quit complaining, because I'm tired of it. Good deal? How about recognize three things and remember four? Recognize this. Complaining is a choice. You're like, what? We had a situation in our house where a, a certain child got very angry, and told me it was not his fault. And this is not the child you think it was, and he does speak, so you know who it is now. wasn't my fault. So-and-so made me do it. So-and-so didn't make you do it. You chose to do it. I'm not saying it's easy. Keep reading 1 Corinthians 10. It says, God will never tempt you beyond what you can handle. We looked at that text together. I said, you chose to complain and lose your temper. And I thought, darn it, I do that too. Complaining is a choice. The rabble didn't cause the Israelites to complain. The Israelites chose to complain, and they were more susceptible because of their neglect. It has consequences. Complaining has consequences. If you are a good complainer and you have kids, guess what you will raise? Good complainers. I would bet my eldest learned how to complain about other people causing him to do things because, oh, perhaps that slipped out of my mouth once somewhere along the way. If you complain, you will cause your kids to complain. If you hang out with friends and complain a lot, guess what? You're going to help them complain more. Complaining has consequences in that it's contagious. 
It robs us as Christians of the joy God desires for us to have. It causes us to not see clearly God for who He truly is. It allows doubt to creep in. It gives the devil a stronghold. It has many, many consequences. It's a choice. It has consequences and it is not glorifying to God. God created us to glorify Him. You complain, you are not glorifying God. Remember four things to fix this. You ready? Faith grows well in the soil of thankfulness. I love that line. It's not my own. Faith grows well in the soil of thankfulness. You need to remember that. Psalm 107. Write that down and read that psalm. We are to be a a thankful people. We have a choice to complain or be thankful. You're going to be hard-pressed to not have something to give thanks for. You're going to be very... It's impossible. You woke up. Thank you, God, for today. And think about in our context how many things we have to be thankful for. We're good at complaining, but how much do we have to be thankful for? We have the ability to move. We, we, we have families. We have houses. We have food. We have heating and cooling. We have cars. We have medical care. We have roads. And these are just ridiculously superficial things because we also have a God who loves us. Faithfulness grows well in the soil of thankfulness. Remember, guys, number two, remember what God has done for you. How often do we forget that? What God has done for you. He brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He brought us out of death into life. Now, isn't it amazing, I struggle with this at times, to take that from an intellectual concept to a reality. I truly, you truly, were dead in our sins. An eternity of separation from God was what we had merited and where we were headed. But yet, God chose to come, take on the form of a person, to impute His righteousness onto us. You know, when God looks at you as a Christian, He doesn't see a a dirty, rotten complainer who made it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. He can say to you as a believer, well, He can say to you, This is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased because he sees you through the blood of Christ. Do you understand that? Jesus gave to us his righteousness as he took his sin upon us. That's crazy. Chew on that in the morning for a bit. Get your focus set through there. Remember what God has called you to. God didn't send Jesus to get you into heaven. God sent Jesus to live in an eternal relationship with you, to make you a royal nation and a holy priesthood, to send you out into a lost world who He loves, to proclaim the wonderful truth of what He has done. Life isn't about us. Complaining often stems from us thinking it's all about us. It's not. I don't like that, but it's not. It's all about Him. And this all sums up in number four. Complaining deserves destruction. When you're around a group of people complaining, how often do you take five big steps back? How often are you like with your, with your neighbors and they're like, oh, so-and-so, what a jerk, I can't see. You're like, woo, I read Numbers 11, it's going to come on down. How come you don't do, like, have you ever seen God smote somebody with angry fire because they complained? Why doesn't he do that now? God never changes. He is always the same. He's not like, oh man, these 21st century folks, they sure complain a bit, but those Israelites were screwed up. He sees complaining the same way. Why does he not kill people for complaining today? Never stop and think about that? 
I recommend five steps back. So in your home, if, if your spouse is complaining, get away. God doesn't do that today because we live in a different time. We live in a time of present grace. We live in a time when God is giving everyone an opportunity to turn to Him and be saved. All the people that deserve death, the complainers, the, every type of sinner there is, deserves death. But we live in a time of present grace when God says, I'm going to give you a chance to turn from your sin and turn to me before the judgment comes down. Because there will be a day when God burns up all the complainers, again, who are not forgiven through Christ. There will be a day when God will not tolerate sin anymore. And we need to remember there are two types of people. There are the sheep and there are the goats. Goats being the non-believers. They are in a precarious situation. If Jesus comes back today, if he comes back before I'm done, you will never have an opportunity to tell those you love and care about how much God loves them and what he has done for them. All those, I'm going to get to it in the future things, you're never going to get to because it it's done. If he comes back right now. He might not come back for thousands of years. But we don't know when and we're called to live with an urgency because God is saying, look guys, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And when I come back, I'm settling accounts. But I love this world so much that I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to turn from sin, to turn to me, and I'm going to make that possible through Christ and Christ's work on the cross. And folks, as I choose you out of death and bring you to life, I'm going to give you a responsibility as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Go and tell. And the struggle, folks, that we have is we forget and we're influenced and we don't. This is serious business. But yet we're quick to forget. Those who are the goats are in a very bad situation, but those of us who are the sheep, let us not forget this. We really deserve to be killed for all that we have done. Do you understand that? This is crazy stuff. God is perfectly just and holy. You cannot sin once and enter into His presence. You can't. You can't blame Adam and Eve either, because you're screwed up with it too. We do not. We think that God owes us something. He owes us nothing. We've earned, we, we, what we deserve is what Jesus took. You guys understand what God has done for us as complainers and as sinners? We don't look wicked. This was part of the conversation this weekend. We don't look wicked compared to other people. But if you ever, you, you know those things we don't talk about with each other? I'll be vulnerable for a minute. Y'all can go and be like, oh man, he's bad. You know those thoughts that go through your head where you just really, there are some people that you don't really like so much? You know? Yeah, you ever see someone you don't like and they're just going through a really hard time because of their stupidity and you're like, fine, I'm glad you're suffering. What are you, idiot? But do you wonder, are you the only one in the whole world that thinks like that? See, if, you could, if I slow down enough at times and, and realize what I'm like deep down inside, what my, the, the sin that resides in my heart still to this day, that I, I so desperately want out, the thoughts that go through my head, the delight I take in things that God has no delight in. When I stop and think about that, and then I'm like, but God, why would, why would you choose something like this to live with for all of eternity? It makes no sense. And he would say, you're absolutely right. It doesn't from your perspective. But I love you so much that not only do I recognize how screwed up and wicked you were, but I came and dwelt among you to make a way for you to come to me. That's crazy, isn't it? You start realizing that. 
It's not just the complaining, it's even worse. But God loved us so much that He gave His only Son, right? That John 3.16, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but would have eternal life. You read this passage. You read about these Israelites who complained. And don't laugh at them because they're just like us. That's why we have this as an example. Look at what they complained about. Look at the frequency. This isn't the only time they complained in the wilderness. It kept happening. Look at the results of the complaining. And make sure you recognize complaining is a choice. It has consequences and it is not glorifying to God. And you remember, faith grows well in the soil of thankfulness. Choose to be thankful. This is what I'm working on. Choose to be thankful. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has called you to. And remember that while complaining deserves death, no one has to die because of what Christ has done. So here's my challenge to you guys this week. Here's my challenge to all of us moving forward. Let's not allow ourselves to be disoriented by the world. Let's not allow ourselves to become forgetful of what we must remember. Let's, let's not allow us to be influenced, but allow God to use us as influencers. Because we live in a serious time, folks. We live in a very serious time where apathy has crept in and indifference has crept in to such extremes that it is extraordinarily difficult to talk to people about God because they're just like, eh, who cares? How the heck can a people get to a who cares moment when it comes to the reality of who God is and how much He loves them? And I think in part, and I am the chief of all sinners in this, they can get to there because they look at a people who say they love God, but don't live very much like a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Let us take the bold steps of obedience so we might look different. Let us take the bold steps of obedience so we will walk the monotonous trail of sanctification at times. Let us allow God to convict us more deeply of the reality of who we were and what He has done and what He has called us to so we can go out into a wilderness of rabble who complains and tell them why they don't need to complain, but who loves them. Okay? Now, as you can tell, I'm getting kind of excited for some stuff I'm thinking about going into the fall. Because I have this sense that as God shakes off our apathy, which we all struggle with, as God heals us of our CCD, He's going to start doing some crazy stuff. Not just in, but through us. Now, I think that you could have that sense too. Because if you stop and slow down and look at what God's doing in your lives and through your lives, you might start to feel the tremors of, of God cracking some, some fallow ground up in you and beginning to crack some fallow ground in other people. But let's start by getting over our CCD, complaining. Pay attention this week. When you start to complain, bite the tongue. First step to stopping the complaining, don't let it leave the lips. Okay, That's hard to do. It will slowly back up, and it'll sit in the heart, and then God will get it out of the heart, and then you can see your circumstances through the eyes of God, rather than God through the circumstances. Let's pray. Father God, I just... I praise you. I thank you for, for all that you have done. God, just the thought that you created us. That you created us knowing the, the trouble we would cause. That you created us knowing the bad decisions we would make. That, that you created us. Even though you knew everything that would happen, but yet you loved us so much that you gave us the opportunity to love you back. That you created us as a people who could live in relationship with you, Father. And even though we screwed that up, you still knew all along what you would do. And you made a way. 
You made a way, as the song tells us, beginning and way before the manger. You made a way right at the Garden of Eden. And you culminated that in the cross. And you took a a wicked and sinful and self-righteous people. And you took the punishment that we deserved upon yourself. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for for all the good things you entrust to us. Thank you for for our bodies, for our eyes that can see, our ears that can hear, our hands that that move, our feet that move. Thank you for the the heart that, that beats and gives us physical life. But more so, thank you for the spiritual life you've given to us. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our possessions. Thank you for our our jobs. Thank you for our relationships. But God, I pray we would use them for your glory and see them as you desire for us to see them. God, help us with our spiritual amnesia. Help us not forget what we ought to remember. Help us to realize there is hard work in this process of sanctification. And it's not all peaches and cream. It's a narrow path with bumps in the road. But we know who walks alongside us and who our good shepherd is. God, help us see the lunacy of complaining. Help us understand that, yes, through Christ we're forgiven by grace through faith, not by works. So technically we can complain all we want. But help us realize the truth that there truly is nothing to complain about when we come to know you more fully. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your patience with the world, God. Thank you for allowing a time when everyone might have an opportunity to hear and believe. And I pray that you would use us mightily in that opportunity. That you would build us up more fully into a royal priesthood and a holy nation. That you would equip and strengthen us to go out into this rabble. That you would give us the words to say so that some might come to know you through us. So that through our mouths might come your words that would go into their ears and open their eyes to the truth. God, help us to develop a love for others as you call us to. Help us to understand how much you love us so we may more fully love you. And thank you, God, for the fact that you took us as a people destined for an eternity separated from you and gave us the guarantee through our faith in Christ of eternal life in your presence, abundant life, joyful life, life as it was meant to be. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.